I remember us being in Vegas and they were uh, uh, announcing the winner of the vendor of the year. And I'm standing beside this guy. And by this time, this guy's going through his midlife crisis. He has an earring in his ear. And he looks at me, he says, TJ, you did it, man. Congratulations. And when he said that, it took all the air out of me. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. And this guest is really special to me. We did a cross-country road trip. He invited us into Humble Manor. We got to hang out and drive some supercars and visit probably the the nicest cars and coffee I've ever been to. Met TJ almost a year ago, and he is the millionaire mentor. So TJ, thank you so much for joining us on the Dreamcatchers podcast, man. For sure, man. Good to see you. Ron's good to see you, man. Yeah, bro. So I, I always like to start these shows out by saying you had an exit. I think you've had a few. Yeah, I've had a couple. One significant, another wasn't so significant, you know, and, and in that, what I mean by that is I, I used to have, so the last exit was a, a tech services company that I've owned for a long time. Prior to that, I had a design build company. So uh, com- construction, commercial construction, essentially, but, you know, really we did work in hospitals and, and mostly, right? So we would turn pediatric to podiatry you know, over the weekend, like over a few days and do a lot of HIPAA compliant building. And so we were going to a hospital, GW Hospitals was our biggest client in Washington, D.C. That's the hospital that the president goes to. And so we did a lot of work there. And at the, when things got really, really tough in, in the construction industry, uh, I got out of it. And, and, and I got out of it because it was not a very strategic business. It, it was, it was more tactical. I built that business because I was, it was more opportunistic. Uh, uh, someone saw some of the work that I had done in my personal property. And then they went to my office and said, man, you did all this work. I was like, well, I, I, I managed to work. <laughs> you know, I hired people. I managed to work. And as it turns out, that's what general contractors do. They're not swinging hammers per se. So, so with that, I did that for a number of years. And then I exited that because things got tough and and when I say things got tough, I already had other businesses. Things got tough in that business such that I didn't have the wherewithal to, to invest more deeply and, and go further in that business, nor did I want to. And so because of that, it just made sense to exit. So that was a small exit where I, I got out and, and, and got a little bit of money but and was able to focus on, uh, on you know, sort of my primary business at the time. So that was, that was wolf. That was some years ago. That was, you know, quite a bit ago, at least 15 years ago, I think. And then, and then with uh, the last exit, I was a founder and CEO of uh, a tech services company. And I built that over 
too much time, 20, at least 25 years, you know? Right. And yeah, I built that over a long period of time and I built it and didn't really have the concept of exiting, you know, when I, when I built the company. It's just like most entrepreneurs, I wanted to start. I wanted to build something. I wanted freedom. I wanted to be my own man. I wanted to, and, and, and I think entrepreneurs are creators, you know, uh, we're, we're creators. So we take a blank sheet of paper and we, we create something. We solve a problem, right? And so that's our canvas. Our canvas is, you know, the problem and, and, you know, what we create is a solution for that problem. So that's our art, right? In terms of from an entrepreneur's perspective. And so that's what I was. I wanted to start and do something. And, and I did that and helped uh, a lot of companies. I've walked personally in. 250 of the Fortune 1000 companies over that 25-year period, you know, as a, as a consultant. Whether that was, whether that was uh, Pfizer or, or Coca-Cola or, or John Hancock or, or, you know, whatever, right? Just, you know, McDonald's corporate, you know, all, a lot of corporations we walked into, Bank of America, to help. We have businesses in at least 12 different countries, but we've done we did a lot of business, a lot of good business for a long period of time. And, but I, and, and, and that was the rush, you know, I'm doing this business and, you know, it wasn't even about how much money I was making, right? At that time it was, I'm doing the business, I'm winning. And I didn't have the mindset of, 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 of protecting revenue or protecting money or, or building equity and all of that sort of stuff. I, I didn't think of it that way. I just thought, Hey, I'm going out and winning, you know, here's a sales call. We're winning. We got that work done. We did it. You know, it was awesome. And that's what we did for a very, very long time. And at some point I realized, man, you know, I need to, to change the way I was doing business. And, and we did. And we started to mature a little bit. Wow. I mean, the, what, you, what you described sounds like it was a major enterprise. You didn't start there, yeah. right? I mean, were, no. you, were you the son of entrepreneur like did i mean were you like second generation and just moving it forward like talk to me for how to how where you started because it, this just sounds like it's second or third generation type business building to me yeah well then that sounds well awesome i did a good job but no not at all man my mom was 14 years old when she got pregnant with me and my dad i remember meeting him on uh on the street in columbia south carolina at some point my mom said that's your dad i was like well what a concept, <laughs> you know, that's my dad. And uh, my dad was sort of, he was a boxer and, want, and that was his passion. He wanted to fight all his life. And so he boxed and trained and it's a fight. funny thing, he was a kind guy. He's a kind man, wasn't, a, wasn't really an aggressive man, but he was a boxer, you know, and that was his thing. But he worked at a, a chicken factory for a very, very long time. And then he worked as a, in a warehouse but he had no concept of business. He never had a business, never started a business, neither did my mom. But what my mom did have was amazing work ethic, you know, and she was amazingly competitive. So she worked really, really hard. And even though she didn't have any degrees or didn't finish high school, or any of that stuff, she would always work and become, she worked in restaurants and she would become like a, a, a general manager or a district manager or some sort of a, in, in management in some way, just because of her pure work ethic and her, you know, just being a good thinker. Um, so, so, but I saw my mom work really, really hard. She never started any business at all. Um, but so, yeah, so that's, that's where I come from and Pocomo, South Carolina, Casey, South Carolina for, you know, right outside of Columbia. 
No, but it was an area that we call Pocomo, Pocomo, South Carolina. <clears throat> now, I was doing a little bit of research. I feel like you said <laughs> you, you grew up on a dirt road. Is no, I, real? no, I didn't really grow up on a dirt road. I grew up in, again, like it's, it's right outside of Columbia, South Carolina, which is KC, West Columbia, and the little areas called Pocomo. But that was where, you know, you had <clears throat> way back in the day where everybody was, you know, you had these little houses, you know, basically you open the front door, you can see through the back, you know, in terms of the houses. They, they weren't real big houses, but <clears throat> they were affordable houses that existed way back then. I remember my first memory of where I lived were at, was in some sort of apartment buildings in West Columbia. And so it was sort of low-income houses, you know, right outside of the, the, the core urban areas. That's where I grew up. All right. So I, I guess there's not the big city. I, you probably didn't know any owners of tech companies when you were growing up. No, man. I didn't know any owners of tech companies at all. I think my, but, but I had an aunt, you know, my aunt Sandra, that was a hustler, man. She was the, you know, the entrepreneur of the family, right? She, she would clean office buildings for attorneys and, and things like that. So she would do that. She would always be figuring out a way to, to, you know, do some sort of side hustle and make money. So that was the, the closest thing that I saw to an entrepreneur. She would do things at, you know, garage sales and, 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 you know, those sort of things, flea markets, you know, so she would find things to sell at flea markets and garage sales. So that was my, you know, one of my heroes. My mom was a hero for me because of, you know, she was just my mom. And then, you know, and, you know, we had all types of, challenges growing up and, and sort of a complex relationship, but she was definitely a hero because of her work ethic and how much she wanted to win. And then my auntie was a hero because of how hard she hustled, you know, and what she, you know, how she would figure out how to make it work, you know? So that's wow. You, you just figured out the hard work translated into success. Like there, there is no substitute for that, I would guess. Yeah, I think I, I think for me, it was, I did not want to live. I didn't want to grow up in the type of, I didn't want to continue to live in the environment that I was living in. You know, of course, there was a crack epidemic, epidemic that we were dealing with in the country and in, in my neighborhood um, uh, specifically. And my family was majorly impacted by it. So I wanted to live, I, I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to see the things that I saw. I didn't want, I wanted to create a pathway for my kids that was going to be different than what I had. And so that was a huge motivator. And at the time I lived at a very, it was a very racist, oppressive time in the South. And so because of that oppressive, racist time in the South, I used it to an advantage. And the advantage was I wanted to win. I wanted to beat everybody else. I wanted people to see me, right? And not just to color my skin. And so because of that, my motivation was beating them, winning. And so, you know, man, I was in school at times that I would have a, a, a jacket over my head, pretending to not listen. You know, I remember being in, in this class and the teacher would come around all the time trying to figure out how it would be acing tests. But with the jacket over my head, I would be listening to every word. 
And all I wanted to do is to, to, to show them that I was as good as them or I was uh, better than them. And that's what I did. I would just pretend to not uh, pay attention. And while I was pretending to not pay attention, she would never bother me. But if little Johnny or Alex wasn't paying attention or acting up in school, good, Johnny, pay attention. Alex, pay attention. Do this, do that. I'm going to tell your mother, I'm going to do this. With me, she didn't care. And so that was a, and I knew it. And so it motivated me. Right. And so what I wanted to do was not only win, I wanted to embarrass her. Right. So I would put the uh, jacket over my head, pretend to not pay attention. And then when it was test time, I would ace the test. And the only time I got attention from her was during test time where she would come around me to try to figure out how I was cheating. So my motivation at that time was winning. And getting the attention of my mom, I wanted my mom to be proud of me, right? And I wanted everybody else to see that whatever their predictions about me or people that look like me was wrong. And that was a huge motivator for me for a long time. So you're breaking stereotypes. Yeah. Creating new pathways. Sure. Absolutely. That's crazy. Now, I don't, I, be, I believe. I've heard you tell a story about winning when you were building your company. But before we go there, I think you're willing to tell that story here. Before we go there, did you ever have a job or did you start with entrepreneurship as a kid? No, bro, I had all types of jobs. So as a kid, I did do entrepreneurship because I because before you can get hired, you know, the only way you can make money is cutting grass. And in, in, in the South, you know, we would put, we would sell fruit or pecans or something like that. You'd pick that stuff, you'd sell it. And, you know, so you'd hustle that stuff. We, I remember seeds. We used to sell seeds because I don't know whatever it was, but there was some like multi-level marketing company or something that would get us all to sell seeds. So we would sell that right door to door. So there was all types of things that I would do like that. There was a time that I had a newspaper route when we moved from South Carolina and moved to San Francisco. I, when I got there, I was able to get a newspaper route. So I did that. I remember painting lines in at, at college campus in Benedict College. So it would be those gold, you know, lines um, to outline the parking lot, right? And I would paint those lines, you know, during during the summer and things like that. So I've had a lot of different jobs. And my first job in a restaurant was I was I was taller and bigger for my age. So so people would treat me a little older. So I started working in a Chinese restaurant. That was my first job in a restaurant. And I was underage working in, and I remember having a hard time, you know, dumping the trash in the dumpster, right? So it'd be the big round gray trash cans. I would try to dump it. And, you know, I would try to dump it over the top. And then the damn thing would fall down and all that gook would fall all over me, man. So I was like, and it was nasty. So it, it prevented me from eating Chinese food for years because of, you know, the smells and, you know, the trash and, and all that stuff. So I did that. And then I think at like uh, 14, 14 and a half, I started working at a Italian restaurant called Tony's Pizza in on Knox Abbott Drive in, in Casey, South Carolina. I worked there through high school. So, and I, you know, play sports and all that stuff, but I always worked there. And, and yeah, so... Yeah, man. So I had a lot of jobs, you know? Yeah. And, and I went in after that. 
but yeah, okay. I had a so military, and then when you got out of the military, is that when you started the company that you built over the course of twenty twenty five years? Yeah, when I so I was in the military, and when I was in the military, and and as I was getting out, I found out while I was in the military that I could not be a general, right? Because you know you go in the military, and the highest ranking person in the military is a general. So I want to, I want to be a general. Right. But I'm an enlisted guy and I figured out there was no pathway to general. Right. And gen- becoming a general, you have to go in as an officer. You have to probably serve in war, which I, I, I served in the storm and all that stuff. But, you know, you have to do that as an officer. And and it's a political thing. And it's, you know, it's just there's no real pathway there. And I was like, not let me say it differently. There was absolutely no pathway there. So when I realized that I was like, man, I'm getting out of the military, you know? And so, but I wanted to make what a general made, right? So I remember trying to figure out what does a general make? And so when I was getting out of the military, I went and started interviewing about a year or so, about a year and a half before I was due to get out. I signed up, I enlisted for six years. And so when I went to get out, and I went on job interviews, when they asked me what my salary requirement was, I would give them what an old, uh, a general made. And they would look at me like crazy, like, what? What are you talking about? I am an E3, E5 at the time, probably. And I'm trying to get out of the military and I'm asking for a general's pay. And, and they would look at me, right? But it was no pressure. It was easy. I could ask for whatever I wanted. I couldn't take the job anyway, even if they gave it to me. I was in the military. So it was like, it was one of the most strategic things I've ever done at that, at that time. So what would happen is they would tell me no, then I would ask them why. I would ask them what was required for me to make the kind of money I was, I was asking for. And they would tell me. They would say, well, you can't do that because you don't have enough experience doing specifically this or that, hmm. right? And they would give me a roadmap, essentially, to making the kind of money I wanted. So I would go on a few interviews like that. I would build a roadmap for making the kind of money I wanted. And then I would go back home. I created this thing called a uh, forward-thinking resume, right? As I took my resume, I added all the things that they were telling me to put on my resume to it or that I needed on my resume. I would make those things in a different font. Now I had a forward-looking resume. I knew what I looked like on paper and what it, what it would be required to make that kind of money. And then I would start knocking them off, knocking them off. And that became my roadmap for my entire career as an as a employee and working for someone. And so that, so, so that was my approach in the military to, that was my approach to, to getting to where I wanted to get to. I allowed people to tell me what, where, where the gap was. I documented the gap. And then I put that in my cubicle on my wall. And all I did was try to knock those things off. But I get a feeling you were asking me, you were asking me about a job, right? If I ever had a job. And so, yeah, so the, the job in the military prepared me to do these other things for a lot of reasons that we won't go into, but it prepared me for a lot of reasons I, I, I had. I was going to school for computer science, uh, studying that. And at the same time, when I was in the military, I was able to use some of those skills, even though that wasn't my 
what we call my uh, classification of work that I was supposed to be doing all the time. But uh, I had an ambitious, uh, ambitious boss in the military that also had some authority to get some things done. I was on a base that had special projects, so I was able to create some things that, that worked for the military, even beyond the time I left. We were able to create a base supply program or a local purchase program for the military, and I was able to code all things around it. And I normally wouldn't have been able to do that. So I was able to get a lot of experience that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to get because of me studying computer science, me having someone that knew this, what my skills were or what my ambition was and my work ethic. And they would use that to their advantage, right? Because they would make them look good, which was great because they gave me the work and, and ultimately the experience. But I left the military. I went to, to Prudential Home Mortgage and I worked for Prudential Home Mortgage for a while. And, mm-hmm. and that, that was a whole nother world, opened my mind completely. And I was uh, able to leverage that job, right, into building a career and skills that served me to build my company. So essentially, I worked for Prudential Home Mortgage. I left Prudential Home Mortgage. I worked for a consulting company, what we call the Beltway Bandit or shop. <laughs> Yeah, it's called a, a Beltway Bandit or a sweatshop, which is basically a government contractor that did business for a lot of the companies. Like, you know, we, we had a contract for Coast Guard and for the IRS and, and Bell South, and, and, and which were all companies that I ended up being able to work with later once I built my company. And so I left, when I left the sweatshop, Inet is the name of the company, or was the name of the company, I think it was. But when I left that company is when I built, founded my company. So, yeah. So that's sort of the progression is going through those jobs to starting and founding the company that I ended up uh, um, being the, the CEO of for about 25 years. Wow. Before Sullivan. What caused you to leave being an employee behind? Man, that's an interesting story. So I've always had this itch that I should do my own thing. I've always, it was an internal thing that was like, man, I should really be doing my own thing. I should be doing my own thing. And every year, like a lot of people celebrate at the end of the year, uh, New Year's Eve, they, they, they celebrate. For me, I would be sad, right? You know, I would kind of be sad and introspective, like, man, what did I accomplish this year? Did I accomplish enough? Am I where I'm supposed to be? And that that sentiment and that internal sort of thing that was bothering me ended up being this great push for me to go off and build my company. I was feeling that way because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I knew it, right? And even though others could look at me and see what I was doing and it looked like I was being successful, I knew I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And... Uh, not to get weird on you, but I'm going to tell you what happened, right? Is I worked at uh, this, this sweatshop, INAT, and when I worked there, the way I got the job is they called me when I got passed over on this, this promotion, which is an interesting story that I won't go into, but, but I got passed over on this promotion at, at Prudential Home Mortgage. So I called my mentor and I said, bro, you know, here's what happened. You know, he said, well, Hmm. Sounds like you're ready to leave. And I said, I think you're right. 
You know, I am. And 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 at that time, I drove 62 miles one way to work oh and 62 miles back through Washington, D.C., the DMV traffic. So it was horrible, but I was committed. Not only that, I started from 3 to 11, right? So I work at third shift thing, and I would go in at 10 a.m. to 11, right, every day. And from the 10 to 3, I would work in other departments, right? And I would work in these departments and I would learn whatever I need to learn. And once they were like starting to depend on me and starting to give me regular assignments, it meant that I had the job. I knew it. I got experience. So I would learn stuff. And back in the day, it was called token ring. I would learn stuff in system engineering. I would learn things in different parts of the business and in tech. And once I learned it and I could start doing this, I would move on to another area. So I was way more qualified than I needed to be in my three to 11 job, which was essentially almost like a call center kind of job. So in job, I was starting to innovate and do different things, right? With my computer science programming skills. And so I was doing these great things. And at the time, my mentor was a salesperson out of San Diego, Dan, and he would, you know, we would talk and the way our friendship was, was he would be trying to then he would call me and ask me to, to demonstrate tools or software or, or to explain something. And so that's what I would do. And when I told him about what was happening, he was saying, well, I guess it's time for you to leave. And I said, yep, it's time. You know? And so at that time, my phone started ringing because he just put my name out there. Right? And people started calling me. I never did a thing. So... What happened was the, the people that I ended up going to work for, they called me and they asked me some questions and they asked me these specific questions. I answered them, right? And thought nothing of it. Interview with some other people. These people called me back and said, hey, man, we want you to come work for us. And I was able to ask for the amount of money that the general made. <laughs> you know? I was able to now, you know, just a few years out of the military to ask for, you know, the amount of money that I knew a general made. So I had gone from being in the military, getting out to make it as much as the highest paid person in the military. So I was like, this is pretty damn cool, right? So I did that. But when I went to work for this place, they had won this big job, a $20 million job based on my answers. So they were asking me questions that they didn't know the answers to, but they were filling out a proposal. They had gotten that, the, they had gotten a win, called me in. So now I got this job and now I got to do all the stuff that I said, but nobody else knows this tool. So I was in this crazy work environment where I'm working really, really hard, right? I got a sleeping bag in my office. The environment was we would have hangmen on our doors, like the hangman thing on our door that indicated every time you did an all-nighter. You pulled an all-nighter. And that was our badge of honor for some of us guys that were like just, just you know, competing really hard to, to impress our companies and win and make more money for our companies. So that was the kind of work environment where it was. And I had carte blanche to hire all these people. And I think I got out of the military, um, 21, 22, so now I'm about 25, maybe, you know, and I have 
you know, I'm making, you know, decent money at the time. You know, I have a cool car, you know, I'm working my butt off. I'm able to hire anybody I want. I'm the man in this environment, right? And we're moving. And in this one day, I'm walking through my office. And as I'm walking through my office, things seem to, you know, people say to hear from God or hear a voice or whatever. I had that moment. And I heard, why have I blessed you? And, and I don't know if it was audible. I don't know if it was an intolerable voice. I, it was just, why have I blessed you? And the whole thing seemed like I'm walking and everything else is slow. Everybody else is moving in slow motion. And I'm sitting there, I'm walking through this office thinking, you know, I'm on the path. I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do. I'm winning. And, and, and I hear God ask me, why have I blessed you? Is it to have a helicopter pad on the West Wing? Because that was my goal. That's what I wanted. Is it to have these cars? Is it to have... And, and I had a, a clear vision for what I wanted in my life. And I heard that word, why have I blessed you? And in that moment, I was like shocked. And I think I went and walked around for three days trying to, trying to you know, just pensive and trying to understand that and trying to understand what had just happened. And so, you know, after that, I knew I needed to do something bigger, more than what I was doing. And, and you know, I'm going to disappoint you and, not, and tell you that, you know, God didn't come back with the answer of, here's what it is. <laughs> right. That was for me to work through and figure out for years. And I'm still working towards that. But what I knew is I needed to do something bigger. I needed to create more success. I needed to touch more people. And, 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 but after that time, I was like, I need to stop being afraid. I need to go build what I need to build. I need to be who I should be. And that has been the internal struggle forever, right? How do I be who I should be? How do I get over the fear? How do I take the right level of risk? How can I be bold enough, right? And so those have been the things that I've, you know, struggled with then, I struggled with after that and continue to struggle with. And I know that that's key to the level of success and the kind of life that I want to live is tackling those challenges and doing those things. So uh, after that, I was able to, I, I, I built my business, man. I was able to be bold enough to take that step, right? Yeah, this is cool. I'm getting a lot of accolade. This is comfortable comfortable, but I need to go off and build something bigger. And that's, and that's what I did. I, I, I went off and, and started to build this tech services company. And, and yeah, it wasn't easy, right? I didn't have all the answers. There was no playbook, but yeah, that's, that's how we got there. Whoa. So there was one point where you told me a story about going out to dinner with some guys that you were working with. And yeah. <laughs> If you'd be willing to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, share yeah. That story. Yeah. So when I went, when I started my business, when I started my business, I'm out doing doing the work and all that sort of stuff. I'm I'm grinding, hustling, doing that. Um, I'm having a little bit of success. Uh, Nationwide Insurance is my was was my big first big customer, and and I'm working. We're doing some stuff. I think um, uh, we we got another big insurance company. We we're doing work for. And this one company that was the biggest in my space at the time, 
they wanted to have dinner and wanted to talk to me. And they had always been saying, come work for me. You know, just come, 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 come. You don't need to do this. Come work for me. And then they pushed my buttons. You know, they pushed the buttons that was pushed back in high school was, you know, you can't be successful doing this. You'll never be good at this thing. You should do something else. In high school, it was, you know, go be a mechanic or go do some technical thing. Go do something that you can do with your hands as opposed to um, anything else. And there's nothing wrong with that. It was just not where my heart was. They were pushing me in that direction. And these guys was pushing me in a direction of come work for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. Just for me, that wasn't my, that wasn't my destiny. And so they would always do that. But we had this dinner. And when we had this dinner, beautiful steakhouse, right? Dark, you know, cool. We're chopping it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. And the guy says, so TJ, man, we want you to come work for us. And will you do the same things that you're doing now, but you'll just work for us. You don't have to worry about the billing and hiring and all that stuff that you're worried about that, you know, you're probably not good at and don't like and da da da. I'm like, huh. Okay. And so I said, no, that's okay. I'm going to keep the path. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my company. And I want to build my company. That's what I'm supposed to do. You know, I finally am not burdened about not doing what I'm supposed to do. I finally feel like I'm living the life I'm supposed to live. You know, whether I fail or not, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And these guys was like, eh, you know, I said, no, I'm and, I, and they said, uh, I said, no, man, I'm good. They said, well, everybody has a price. And so at that moment, they said, hey, let me offer you something. So they wrote a number on a sheet of paper, piece of paper, and they slid it over like you do in the movies and shit, right? So I said, okay. I looked at it, I said, bro, look, I'm not even, I'm not interested. I want to build my company, right? And so I slid it back to them. I don't even think I looked at it. He said, bro, you need to look at the number. They slid it back over. And I looked at it. And it, was, it was a lot, you know, but I wasn't interested. So I sent it back over. And they said, bro, everybody has a price. And I said, I'm good. And at that time, remember, I sold my company over 25 years ago. They slid it back over. So I said, hell with it. I'll, let me give them my number. So I put a million dollars on it. Right. So I put a million dollars on it and I said, a million dollars. And I slid it back over to them. And they looked at it and they started laughing. And I looked at them and I was dead ass serious. I was like, I didn't smile a bit. And then they realized I was serious, you know? And then in that moment, they looked at me there and they hurriedly ended the dinner, you know? They ended the dinner and when they, I sat there and the only thing that I wanted to do was to beat them. That was my only goal in life was to beat them. And so, so it was a, a huge motivator, also a little bit of a regret because I, I worked really, really hard to beat them. And I remember us being in Vegas and they had the big, big, uh, the big TVs, the big, you know, what do you call those things? They huge TVs. And they were uh, uh, announcing the winner of the vendor of the year and that kind of thing. And I was speaking in a particular part of the, the event and, and I'm up there. Right. And so, you know, I'm sit, I'm standing beside this guy 
you know, and by this time, this guy's going through his midlife crisis. He has an earring in his ear. And, and he looks at me, he says, TJ, you did it, man. Congratulations. And when he said that, it like took all the air out of me. Ouch. Because all I was doing was chasing him and his business. And the problem is his business was probably only a $25, $30 million business, right? I wish in retrospect that it was a $300 or $400 million business, you know, because I would have chased that, right? So the moral of the story for me was, man, I'm chasing this guy, but my standards were too low. And it's the reason why, you know, we get to wherever we get to because it's all based on our perspective. My perspective at that time was he was the guy. He was winning. I wish he was much, much bigger. I ended up building a, a company much significantly bigger than his company and, and, and ended up selling that company. But he was my motivator for a long time. So you're seeing a theme here. Mm-hmm. You know, my motivation has always been adversity, right? It's always been me wanting to win, me wanting to beat someone, right? Uh, and even in winning or, or trying to win, um, that's what my mom always put in my head. You know, we go to we go to a game. Mom would be like, wouldn't, wouldn't go to the football game or baseball game or whatever. She just asked me one question. Did you win, son? You know, did you win? And so that's been, you know, how I was raised. That's been what's inside of me. And and that's been the, the you know, there's the, the good and bad, right? The good is I'm going to chase it until I win. The bad side is if you're, chasing some dream or some goal or whatever that's too small, you know, you're, you're playing yourself short, you know? So that's wild. All right. So you're standing beside the guy. He says you did it. What did that do to you? Did I'm telling you, you fall off a cliff? Like what? A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. I did, actually, because what happened was that was, that was my motivation. You know, my motivation was, uh, again, my motivation was I wanted to beat some people. You know, I wanted to prove the people home wrong back in, in, in South Carolina. I had already done that. You know, I wanted to make my mom proud, right? I just wanted her to win, and I wanted her to see me, you know, winning. And, and, and see that I had done that, you know, I wanted to beat this guy and, and there was no way to know if I had done that until that moment where I'm thinking, man, this is pretty cool, but to have him say it and to know that, you know, where I was relative to his company was like, wow. That's cool, but it took the win out of me because I didn't have that carrot in front of me. I didn't have something that I was chasing. So I, 
I, I spiraled for a couple, few years, to be honest with you, in terms of motivation and direction and, and effort, you know, so I was like, man, you know, and, and it took a while to get back to a place where I saw something and put something back in front of me that was worthwhile chasing. So this is the part where I think things get really interesting for the listeners. So you, you still own your company in this time where you're, you're spiraling and you're looking for the new thing or had you already yeah. sold it? No, no, I still own my company at that time. Okay. And so how'd you move from, I've hit the peak, I've accomplished the goal. Basically you, you conquered the villain, right? I think every hero needs a villain. So you, you've got the villain, you got the Joker tied up, he's neutralized. How did you figure out what the next mountain was? Cause there's, there's always another one that's bigger. Yeah. I mean, it, it took a while, you know? It, it took a while. There was no clear path to that. And I don't know if I can really articulate how I got to it, but I took a substantial amount of time um, off, if you will, relative to the level of intensity that I had. I think I moved to the Dominican Republic, bought properties there. You know, I bought a, you know, invested in a hotel there, started, you know, marketing. I started a restaurant. I mean, I got completely distracted. Doing all types of other things, right? Because again, entrepreneurs are artists. They want to create something, right? Entrepreneurs are not businessmen, right? Entrepreneurs have to develop into becoming businessmen, right? But they're not naturally good businessmen. They're naturally good at having passion, being able to create something from nothing, being able to solve problems, being able to, to get other people to lead other people and get other people to follow them. And when I say lead other people, to get other people to follow them, not, they're not naturally good at management either. You know, they're naturally good at leadership and management is different. Business people are better at management. Business people are better at financial controls. Business people are better at creating, you know, uh, very specific financial objectives and, 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 and keeping money in and reserving money and that kind of stuff, right? Those aren't things that, that entrepreneurs are naturally good at. They're naturally good at, at solving a problem, right? And convincing people that the problem is solved and they, that you should follow them, you know? Um, so <clears throat> I think, you know, I went on that sort of, I call it a hiatus of me not working with that, where I invested in that, in, in the hotel and, and, and started doing that and doing all the marketing stuff and, and whatnot. <clears throat> and that was me getting away from the, the primary thing where I should have been building that bigger <clears throat> and doing that more. But what I did, uh, which was also accidental, was I ended up hiring um, someone to run the business, right? And put someone in as president. Okay. You know, I put a CFO in place put a COO in place. So I put some things in place so I could go off and do these other things. But I don't know that I was like this, you know, at that time that, you know, I was just trying to figure out how to not work in the business as hard as I was working in the business. And, and, and that became a really cool thing because by doing that, the business was able to grow without me, you know, being involved. 
So for the last six, seven years of the business, for sure, I don't think I attended a Christmas party. I don't think I hired an individual that was not on overhead. So I would hire the executives or interview executives, but I wouldn't be involved in hiring anybody else, right? Didn't see anybody else. I didn't see any customers. You know, I didn't, you know, I went into my office one one business day a week, if that, you know. So I did that for a better part of the at least seven years. It could be up to about 10 years, but I did that for the latter part of the the, the thing. And the business grew, which was good because I had, you know, great partners and great people in the business. And, and that allowed that business to grow and scale a little bit. And then it also gave me the time to go off and be an entrepreneur, right? And then, you know, so it, and, and that was starting stuff because at that time the business was running, it's making money. I'm getting paid a certain amount of money and all that stuff. I got a lot of people that are making, you know, uh, at least one other person that's making, you know, seven figures a year. And then wow. I had a lot of people that were making very close to that. You know, not a lot of people, several other people that was making close to that seven figure number. You know, we had about 150 people, you know, you know, I, you know, the, the biggest size when I was there is probably is bigger now. I'm sure. I don't know, but I don't really, I'm not involved in the company at all in any way, uh, other than, yeah, I'm not involved in the company at all now. So, so yeah, man, I think that was the thing that happened was I spiraled a bit, but in that spiraling, I had to figure out how to free up my time and keep the company running. And in that, I hired the right people and learned a lot through that process because, you know, I bumped my head a lot of times in terms of trying to hire the right person and, 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 and missing, you know, not being successful with some of the people that I hired and spend a lot of money. And then, and then, you know, after that, you know, me and my partner, JJ Smith, we started a business as well. And we built that business up during the time. So, you know, I did the hotel stuff, but JJ had a vision for something and said, you know, here's what we're going to do. And, and she said, here's what I need you to do. And here's how I need you to be a part of it. And so with that, that got me focused on stuff outside of, that other stuff that weren't scalable, right? That stuff that I was doing with the hotel, with the rest, none of that stuff was scalable. It was, for me, fine. It was entrepreneurship. But the stuff that JJ and I started doing with our business focused on weight loss, focused on supplements, focused on helping people achieve some of the things that, you know, we've achieved. You know, I've lost 72 pounds, you know? And so in doing so, you know, we started focusing on our business and for the last at least 12 years, you know, and that was overlap with, you know, obviously all the business. We started building this business and getting very strategic about it and very strategic about growing it. So, you know, one of our big initiatives now is medically guided weight loss. So we are working every day, super, super hard to grow our supplement business. We have new supplements coming online to grow our medically got a weight loss part of our business and and stand up a telehealth business. So that's what we work on all the time. So a lot of times you and I are talking person, you're like, what are you working on? You know, and and I'll kind of give you something generic. <laughs> but that's what that's what we're focused on day in and day out. I love it. 
So what's really cool is you're checking all the boxes. So the first exit of a founder is leaving corporate. The next one is being getting out of being chief everything officer. And you didn't tell the story, but you've told me stories where you were doing everything. You would hire people to do the thing that didn't know how to do the thing. You'd do it for them, get it yeah. done. And then eventually you were able to get out of that. Exit three is managing a manager. So you got people doing stuff and you talked about that as a journey. And then you talked about, hey, you had this thing going on in your personal life and you're just like, man, I'm going to go do some other stuff. And so you install the COO. Did you do a board at any point? Did you bring a board? Did you have a board established for your big tech company? No, I, I, I considered doing a board, but I didn't want to hire someone that was responsible for telling me what to do. You know, that didn't make sense to me. Well, I'm going to tell, hire someone to tell me what to do in a business that I started and built and, and put those sorts of controls. Another attribute of entrepreneurs, they don't really like to be controlled. And so, so with that, I didn't start a board in that way. Now, that, that's also limited in smaller thinking. There's good reasons to do that because, because there's, it's, it's really easy for money to evaporate and go away. So I think when you're having success, right? When you're doing well, that's a great time to install a board because, you know, it stands up parameters around you so that you don't do stupid things. And, you know, and we can do stupid things very easily when you're making money, you're having success. And we all can fall into the trap of thinking it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be smooth or it's always going to be easy. It's always going to be up and to the right. And that's definitely not the case. So, so having a board at those times is, I think, really helpful. Having a board when you're struggling, you're not making money and, and all that sort of stuff, I don't think makes sense. I think having a board, having an advisory, advisors is, is helpful um, because I think mentors are important. I think mentors save us so much time, so much money. They've been there. They've seen it. They can see your stuff in a way that you can't. So the perspective that they're able to bring you is super, super important. And people don't understand the, the value of mentor sometimes. And, and they get mentors and coaches mixed up. Mm. Coach, mentor, not the same. You know, Tell me more. Uh, yeah, a coach can be, help you in a more granular way, help you get through a specific thing. I need a coach that's going to help me do ad buying. And so that coach can work you through those things. Right. Let me show you how to do that. Right. They're teaching you how to do that. A, a mentor might be able to do some of that, but they can advise you and give you value in ways that can be broader at times. And so I think looking at a coach, I'd, I'd say kind of look at coaches as, look, and, and regardless of what people call themselves, it's not about that. It's about what you're hiring them for and understanding why you're bringing this person on. I'm bringing this person on, not as a mentor, I'm bringing this person on as a coach to help me learn how to do ad buying. I'm, I'm bringing this person on to help me get traffic. I'm bringing this person on to help me do get conversion, right? And a lot of time those things are, are, can be tactical. You know, let me get these things done. Um, mentors have uh, a, a level of awareness and a nuance around things that you may not see, right? Uh, and a lot of times it's strategy. So when people are stuck, 
um, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, and it's like, you're stuck. And the, and the person's a, um, a mentor, coach, and, you know, they have a coaching business. And I'm like, why are you stuck? The reason why you're stuck is you're not engaging your mentor at the right time, right? If you, if, if you're, if you have the right mentor, they're going to help you strategically lay out a plan of what you should be doing next. You know, what should be going on? Um, if, and, and then you might need a coach to help you on that specific thing. You know, you might need someone that you can hire to help you get that particular thing done. But if you're stuck, you probably don't have the right people around you to help you because you should never just be stuck. You know, go out and reach out to somebody and say, here's what my ideas are. Here's what my plans are. How do I get there? Right. So, but that person was stuck and what they were doing is trying to figure out, they had an idea that they wanted to go to market with. The idea was fairly vague. And so the issue was, why can't you... Why aren't you having success with that thing that you're trying to do? And so in that particular case, I had them, you know, sort of critique themselves on it. So pretend you're not that person. Let's go through this. Why is this a challenge? And how can you make it better, right? So we started going through that and digging in. And it was very clear on why they were stuck. And now they're not stuck. They might not be stuck for a week or two. Right. But if we, if they get stuck again, and if, if they're humble enough to go and raise their hand and say, I got a problem, I'm stuck. I'm not making the kind of money I want. I'm not making the type of progress I want. Right. It's probably because they don't know what they're doing or their idea is not vetted out. The idea is not clear enough. They haven't associated it with what their sales process is. They haven't associated or created the right marketing messages around it. And they haven't, you know, aligned all the things that they have to do to get to what they want to get to. Right. But they shouldn't be stuck, you know, and slow progress, <clears throat> slow progress. If you're making slow progress, you know, you have to figure out why you're making slow progress. Are you making slow progress because you're not executing fast enough? Or are you making slow progress because you don't really know what you're supposed to do, what the priorities are, right? You have to determine that. And if you are honest with yourself, then you can tap into the right resources so that you can move ahead. That's phenomenal advice right there. And it, it goes to show why having people around you, making those investments to have the right people around you can be game-changing. Because um, everything isn't just brute force. There's some technique that is necessary. And if you don't have it, there's you can... Yeah, there's technique and there's angle. There's nuance. Like, hey, let's yeah. twist just a little bit. And yeah. it's very different. You know, with that person I was talking to, what she wanted to do was real and she was passionate about it. But the way she was presenting it wasn't going to land. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going to land with her, the market, her targeted audience, right? But what she was saying and the reason why she was doing it was what she was stuck on. Yeah, that's right. But people aren't going to pay for that, right? So, but what would they pay for? But what would they pay for? What message would connect with them? How about if we frame it differently? Because it's not that what you're doing and what you're saying is wrong, but the way you're framing it doesn't land and it's not sellable. Right. 
And you can go back to any of the you know major products or or or, or, or some of the products, whether it's Chia Pet or whether it's the the doll baby, right? The, what was the, the doll baby that you had to adopt? Cabbage Patch. Cabbage Patch doll. Think about that. It's a doll. It's so a doll. I, can say all day, I can say all day long, well, no, I got this doll and it's really cool. And it's, and it, and it's going to pull at your heartstrings, right? Well, okay. It ain't landing. Mm. But if you, if you change the angle of that, well, no, this one comes with adoption papers, <laughs> right? This one is, you know, a little bit different. This is this, this doll, and I don't know the psychology of the, the Cabbage Patch doll, but the psychology of the Cabbage Patch doll is the reason why that was successful. It wasn't that the doll was any better or dramatically different. Yeah. It's in a technology advance. There was a message, a marketing message that was different that allowed it to advance uh, and be what it was, right? Or the pet rock is another That's one. That's one of the silliest things I've ever seen. Who wants a pet Yeah, rock? but they were already selling rocks. They were already selling rocks. Rocks were for sale prior to the pet rock. But nobody called it a pet. Mm-hmm. And nobody said, hey, look, you know, you're a heartless person, you're not a warm person, you're not a relatable person because you don't have a pet. But you have your travel and your dog, but, but, but wait a minute, I need to be a pet walk. Right? You could talk to it, you could baby talk to it. <laughs> man, that's <laughs> selling snow to ask a little man. <laughs> right, right. But so it's the marketing message. And, and think about all the water companies that exist. Yeah. You know? And, and I talk about hint water all the time because if you came to me with this idea, hey, we're going to come, we're going to sell flavored water. Like, I'd be like, man, there's flavored water all over the place. Oh, yeah, but we're going to call it hint. Simply hint of flavor. Doesn't taste like these other things. It's just really, it's water, but it's going to allow you to drink and consume a lot more water. It's hint water. Be like, hey, the market's saturated. But they figured out an angle, a marketing message that works. So a lot of times we have to sort of reframe our ideas that we're taking to the market and to make it connect to the heartstring, mm-hmm. right? Um, people want to buy. People are consumers. They want to buy, but you have to move it in their heart so that they go, oh, yeah, make an emotional connection with this thing so that it makes sense to them. And people are doing it all the time. And that's what a brilliance is right now for us today in, in marketing and in this place where we have so much competition is how do we reframe it to make it make sense? So I want to talk about your, your big exit for a couple of minutes. What was your first exposure to someone selling a business? I think, um, my first real exposure to someone selling a business was um, at Prudential, something happened, but it wasn't real clear to me uh, because there was this day where, you know, everybody was excited and these certain people were going to get some huge financial reward because I think Prudential home mortgage sold to a country why, but I was detached from it and, and it was abstract. I didn't know the details. 
But there was a guy, a friend of mine named Reggie. And Reggie was building a business and it built this business for a long time. And then he, he sold it and he had this exit. And after he had to exit, you know, we spent a little bit more time together. I remember going to his place in, in Miami and it was like amazing. And, you know, I remember, you know, some of the initiatives and some of the things and, and spending time with him because he had built this business and never been married and, and all of that and decided he wanted to go out and find a girlfriend. So he spent a couple of years trying to find a wife, right? So he spent two years trying to find a wife after his exit. And, and so I remember just being a part of that. And it was kind of funny and thinking, man, finding a wife is probably the easiest thing in the world to do. But, but that was his dilemma because he had spent all this time building his business. Then he had an exit. And then I remember him investing in all types of crazy things. Like I remember there was an artist that he invested in, but the artist that he invested in, the, the sister of the artist was a household name, right? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Why are you investing in this lady if her sister's a household name? She should be famous by now. But I didn't understand all the things. But I remember watching him go through the paces that people that exit, and now I'm aware that people that exit go through. Like, he was trying to figure out what am I going to do now? And let me invest in my passion, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> okay, so you see Reggie go through the thing. Did Did you go to him to get guidance as you were going through the process of exiting yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I would ask him things. I mean, <clears throat> Yeah, I would definitely ask them, ask them for advice or opinions or, you know, things he would do differently and things like that. And uh, yeah, for sure. What's something that went really well in the exit process? For me? Yeah. It can be a bear. Like, you, they deal swallow powered all the time. Like, you, you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, bro, look, the, the thing that, uh, you know, I know we've been on for a while, so we have to get off, but, but, I think for me, the exit was a, probably one of the most stressful things in my life. The amount of time that I spent on it, the sort of, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen things, the deals that I walked away from. And I, I, and in fact, the last, you know, at the end, I walked away from the deal. You know, I walked away from the table. I remember leaving extremely upset, annoyed, thinking it was done you know, and angry that I'm going to have to go back into this business and spend more time in it. And, and, you know, my plans were going to be different. I remember, you know, hanging up the phone and saying, you know, forget it. I'm, I'm walking away. And lawyers, everybody, and just like, you know, got in the Uber uh, and left. Went to the airport to go back to my uh, place. And when I did that, I, you know, you know, upset. And I got to the airport and getting ready to get out the uh, Uber and I saw the Eagles flown, right? My lawyer, my banker actually called me and said, hey, you just got X in your account, right? I've walked away from the deal. I ain't signed anything, but they knew I was done. So they knew they couldn't push, you know, anymore. And they sent the money without the deal being signed. So, so that's how that ended, man. And, and I was in a, in a really good situation because I had built the, the weight loss and the supplement business and we were already making, you know, 
a couple million dollars a month at that time and, 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 and doing very well. And so I had something to fall back on. Um, and the reason why I had something to fall back on is because me and my partner that built JJ Smith that built the supplement business and the weight loss business, um, we were always trying to figure out how to build the next thing. So we had already started to build the next thing. We were concerned that how about if this thing goes away, you know, because we can never sell it. And, and because I had been out of the business so long that it's sort of, I lose control that we had started building this other thing. And so I had comfort, that I, you know, so I could, I was in a position where I could walk away. It was still painful, but I could walk away. And so I did. And so when the money hit, Man, it was tears. Yeah. It was te- yeah, it was tears. It was tears. I was just, I mean, it was tears because, I mean, the journey was so long that you start something and to be able to exit, you know, everybody at some point dreams of exiting, but it doesn't become a reality for most people. Yeah. So build a business and to be amongst those few that are able to build a business, have it have value. Create the value where you can go off and go, you know, wow, these people are sending me eight figures and they got to keep paying me before I, you know, um, until we get to whatever, you know, was, was, was a major victory and a major win and the culmination of a bunch of effort and time and energy and, and, and stress, you know, and, you know, that, you know, a lot of relationships lost in that whole process, you know, so it's tough. Wow. Tough. So how long did the feeling last, that gratitude and gratefulness? Did it? And I'm still grateful. It... <laughs> You're all still... Every time I look at my account. <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm still grateful. I mean, I'm still grateful that, you know, and. And even though it was tough, even though, you know, relationships was charred and all of that stuff, you know, I'm grateful that we created a lot of millionaires, you know, in that process, we took care of a lot of people and their families and, and started something that some businessmen were able to take and, and, and take it to another level. And when I say businessman versus entrepreneur, it's, it's not completely 100% one or the other. Obviously there's overlap, but. You know, the guys that took it are probably better businessmen and I'm better, better entrepreneur. Right. And so, so at the time anyway, you know, but, but no, I'm, I'm still grateful that the thing that I started so many years ago, um, going knocking door to door to try to, you know, get people to help me for me to go in and, and, and configure their, you know, write code or configure their database or whatever it was, you know, ended up being what it is, you know, and winning the wars and, and all of that stuff. And so I'm, I'm still very, very grateful and very proud of having built that and, and built that with, you know, some friends and, and having to impact uh, people's lives the way it's impacted people's lives. Phenomenal. How'd you celebrate? I have no idea. I, I don't even know how I celebrate it. I don't remember. It was a, a few years ago. I, I don't remember. I think I got on that plane and I, I was introspective the whole time and just tears, you know, tears. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Honestly, I know that sounds crazy, but I don't remember. Uh, 
but again, I, I, you know, I had a, you know, we have this other business that we were, you know, full fledged in. And by this time, you know, we're in that anyway, right? Because we have this other business that we've been building. And, and so, I mean, I think we just, you know, certainly, you know, I'm sure, you know, cause JJ exited with me in that business because she helped build that business because she came in that business, you know, years ago and was a um, partner in that business that really helped to grow that business. And so she was, you know, the, she, we both exited a business at the same time. So I don't know what she and I did to celebrate, but, but we had our started building another business. So we were, we were in that, you know, we were in that. I love it, man. Well, I know I'm over my time, so I guess we'll wrap it up here. The final question I want to ask is who else should we have on the show, man? We're, we love when we can get great founders on. Is there anybody in your network who would be a great guest for our listeners? That's an accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I have to get back to you on that one, man. It's right. rare air. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, I have to get rare. back to you. Uh, oh, I got a buddy named Angel. Yeah, he's excellent. Yeah. You should probably interview Angel. You'd like Angel. He's a, he's a dope guy. Is he a car guy? Yeah, of course. He's a car guy. <laughs> yeah. He's a car guy. And and a good guy. I think he's a, you know, Somalier. He's a, you know. Somalier. Smart guy. He's a, yeah, super smart guy. Good guy. So yeah, you should, you should interview him. Love it. Love it. All right. To the listeners, you've talked to a man who, who came out of South Carolina, born to an unwed mother. When she was in her teens, he went out, did a bunch of odd jobs, joined the military, said he wanted to be a general, wanted to make what a general made, figured out how to do that in his mid-20s, goes into another company, pulls together a resume, a future-looking resume, checks all the boxes, works for another company, consulting, figures out the game, and then he starts out on his own. And at the end of the day, he's able to create a space where he made multiple millionaires and had an eight-figure asset himself. If you don't believe that your dreams can be real after listening to this episode, we're going to have to do a pulse check. TJ, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, brother. You truly are the epitome of a dream catcher. I appreciate that, Jerome. I will talk to you soon, brother. Come back out to L.A. Oh, man. You know I can't wait to do that. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.